Welcome to the C3 Calgary podcast. We're so grateful that you're a part of our family and we'd love to invite you to one of our services. To find locations, times, and more information about our church, visit our website at myc3church.ca or find us on Instagram. Enjoy the message. So good. I'm just so thankful you're here. I'm just so thankful just for the privilege to talk with you today. And uh, I want to keep it simple. And I want to read a passage that uh, I have never really camped on before, but it was speaking to me. And uh, what I want to read is I want to read Luke chapter 1. And I want to talk about the power that we have in turning our hearts to God and how he meets us. Graciously, as we stumble towards him, and he meets us there. I just want to begin by reading that, and then I want to pray. So I'm looking at Luke chapter 1. There we go. Here we go. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughter of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they both were righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the front, at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him, to Zechariah, an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at this birth. For he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this, for I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years? And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. And after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my approach among people. 
Lord, we bless your word. We want to receive from you, Father, everything that you have for us. And we thank you, God, that when we turn to you, you refresh us and you renew us. And you prepare a way for the wonderful things that are coming for us from your hand. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Welcome, those of you that are joining us online. We're so glad you could be here with us today as well. Drop something in the chat. Let us know you're watching. Let us know where you're watching from. I think that would be great. I'd like to hear that. But reading about Zachariah and Elizabeth, uh, the only thing I've ever really considered about them before was stacking their response to an angel against Mary's response. And it always comes up just a little bit lacking. But there's, there's a reason why it did. And I'm not making excuses for Zechariah. What I am trying to look at is the parallels between Zechariah's life and ours, and Elizabeth's life and ours. Zechariah was a priest. He was getting up there. They didn't have a child. Their life could have been typified by silence and, and a few different types of silence in their lives. There was a silence because they didn't have kids. Kids are just inherently noisy, right? At any age. Bless them. Bless them. But would you rather have the noise or the silence if you're wishing for kids? What would you make up for? Like, what would you make do for? Would you put up with that? They wanted a kid. And it says... In verse, God forgive me, verse 6, he said they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. And, and there's, a, there's a social stigma attached with not having a child. And, uh, I mean, you, you know, 30, 30 years later, 34 years later, the disciples would be asking Jesus, hey, hey who sinned? This, this per- they're sick or they're injured. Who sinned, this person or their parents? And she's like, nobody sinned. Like, it wasn't about that. But there was this reproach on people that couldn't have kids, particularly on women that couldn't bear children. And it was looked on as, 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 as it was a burden. It was a burden. But the verse 6 says, they knew how to walk. They walked blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. They weren't bad people. They fulfilled not just all the requirements of the law, but they were good folk. They were good people. And they knew how to walk. They knew how to walk. So in the burdens that they carried, they knew how to walk. And my question is, do we know how to walk when the burdens sit upon us? Do we know how to do that? I think that would be question number one. It's a question to ask yourself without a solution yet, but it's a question between you and, and God to pray. It's like, do I know how to walk? when I'm burdened, right? That's a question. And there was not just the silence of the home, there was the silence of God. Nothing had been spoken from God through any prophet for 400 years. It would be like us saying today, you know, I remember when God spoke, I read of it in a history book. It was in the, sometime in the 1600s. I remember God said something historically, and we wrote it down. It was a big deal. And 
that's kind of what it would be like. Imagine if you didn't believe, you know, not just didn't believe that God exists, but you believe that God exists and that he spoke and yet he had been silent for 400 years. But they knew how to walk. They knew how to walk in silence. They knew how to walk burdened. They knew how to walk. And he was serving as a priest. And there were 24 divisions of priests. I'm sorry. There were 24 divisions of priests. They each served two weeks in the, uh, in the priesthood at the temple ministering before the Lord. And eight to nine families per division. Each one serves for two weeks of the year. All in total, there would have been approximately 16,000 priests at any one time that, uh, that could minister before the Lord. Your odds of actually walking into the temple and being the priest that serves the incense were fairly low, were fairly low. And they were decided by chance. Well, in the Bible, chance, right? It was decided by lot. He was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And what he would have done was he would have taken coals. He would have walked up to the outside of the altar where the, where the sacrifices were made. He would have taken coals from the altar. He would have been helped into the holy place. And inside the temple, there's the, there's the holy place where there's the altar of incense. There's the, there's the candles there's the, there's the table of bread, show bread on it, and then there's the, the curtain that segregates, that, that cuts off the Holy of Holies, where, the, uh, where the, um, the Ark of the Covenant was. If you don't know where the Ark of the Covenant is, you, know, you, gotta, you need to watch Indiana Jones, <laughs> the very first one, to get like, a proper biblical perspective. <laughs> Except for the end, they, like, ghosts don't come shooting out of the, uh, no, like, that's not what happens. That's not what happens. That's a, bit, that's a bit Hollywoodized right there, but you know, it's, the shape of the altar was, was pretty cool. So he's in there, and he is representing the nation, and, and incense represented prayer. It represents the prayers of the nation, and while he's inside ministering, there's a crowd of people outside the temple praying, praying, and these, and these people outside are like, uh, he's taking a little bit long. Oh my, oh, like this could be good or it could be bad. <laughs> like, uh, like, Lord, I, I hope they didn't strike him down for something, you know, he walked in there improperly or something. I hope this all went well because this represents the intercession and the prayers and representing me and us as a nation before God. This needs to go in a good way. And they get nervous when he takes a bit too long. And meanwhile... Zechariah is inside, and he's, his official role is to represent the needs and the prayers of the nation. But, of course, he carries his own needs and desires in with him, in representing. And if you're a, if you're a parent, or if you're someone who has close friends that you're burdened for, you don't just represent them, but you, you bring, you, like when we stand before God, it, I picture this sometimes when I'm praying for people, that I'm actually, I'm actually quite silent before him quite often lately, and I just, I just stand before him, silence, and I just 
be there with him. And sometimes I'm actually picturing my friends and my, my workmates and my family just standing with me in spirit. And I just stand and I just kind of like, here we are, the people that God has given me and entrusted to me. And I just, we stand here before God. And this is him. He stands before God and he's officially, he's dutiful, he's, he's praying for the nation because he knows how to walk. He knows how to walk. And he stands there before God and he also is carrying his own burdens there with him. And in a cosmic moment, we know that, you know, that Christmas is all built around this, I'm sorry. It's all built around this cosmic moment of Jesus coming to earth. And, and Zachariah's role in it is going to be that John the Baptist is going to be born to Elizabeth. I just gave the whole thing away. But John the Baptist is going to be born here, and he is the forerunner, the one that makes the way straight for Jesus. Cosmic events are happening. And what is, what is this angel Gabriel talk to him about? Like Gabriel's a big deal. He's mentioned a couple of times in the Bible. When Daniel was in Babylon and he's, he's, he, he's fighting and he's praying for Israel in prayer, like the angel he encounters that explains his visions to him is, is Gabriel. Gabriel's next interaction is with Zechariah. And what does this cosmic being talk to Zechariah about? Don't be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Our needs and desires are completely valid, and we bring them before God, and we'll let God sort those out, how he wants to treat them. He will owe, but no matter what answer he gives, he gives it with love and kindness. He gives it with a respect for the weight that we carry at that time. He respects the weight and the need. That won't define how he responds to it. It won't, just, it won't define necessarily what he does. He'll have a good answer for us. But he will respect and love it because he's our heavenly father. He's our heavenly father. And he knows our burdens are burdens. And he sees them. And there's this interconnecting, this overlapping of personal need and cosmic intervention that's happening. And I, I think it's good to respect this in terms of how we bring our needs before God, that they are not just our needs, and they are not just, we are not just islands into ourselves, but what we experience and what we carry and what we are burdened with, God's intervention goes far beyond ourselves into the world that he has placed us in and the people he has placed us around. And there's certain things that we fight for and that we want to see resolution to that uh, have meaning beyond our lives. And I, I remember, and I might have talked about this before, and I don't want to camp on it because it's, it's an old story, but when I was, I really felt like God was calling us to move to Calgary in like 2003, and I worked at a high school, and I was a, I was a teacher's aide with special needs kids, and um, I didn't know how to frame, Melissa and I had decided at this point, this is what God was wanting for us to do was to move to Calgary. And um, I didn't know how to frame that with the people that I worked with, and uh, because it wasn't a Christian school. They were, they were awesome people, brilliant people. I loved being around them. And uh, I didn't know how to explain to them what God was calling me to do and that it was God that was calling me to do it. And so I just told them, you know, I want to go to Calgary. I think there's more opportunities there, and it's going to be great. And, you know, they got a great university. Maybe I'll, you know, go for a degree. It'll be good. 
And then God was just like, is that why you're going, Tim? I thought, I thought we talked this out. And, and, uh, and I just like, you're right, you're right, you're right. Okay, I'm sorry. So when the teachers, these, these beautifully educated people whose hearts were, were caught up in the lives of their students and, uh, and they, did the best, they do the best that they can and they, they do great work and, and many of them don't know Christ and they have you know, maybe analytical minds sometimes and, and I would just go to them and I was like, they, they'd ask me, oh, I heard you're leaving. And I was like, oh, yeah. They're like, why? And I was like, oh, uh, well, you know, I think, uh, I believe God told me to. And they're like, whoa, really? Like, yeah, yeah, there we go. And, and there was, there was a, this spectrum of responses. But you know what I did? I did what I was supposed to do. I did, I responded. I told them. And you know what? That, my response becomes a part of their journey. It becomes part of the confrontation that, you know, God speaks. And I was like, does he? Well, maybe he does. I'm going to talk to Tim. Well, maybe. Maybe for some it's a maybe. Maybe for some it's like, you know, that's it. That locks it in. I do believe God speaks. Other friends, it's like, I wish God would say things like me, like that to me. I wish he would lead me. And like, he can. He totally can. He totally can. There's this overlapping of needs an overlapping of solutions that God brings us into. And then you see, ah, then you see, then you see Zechariah's response. Gabriel, who stands before God, has told him something. Zechariah's response is, how shall I know this? I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And he says, Gabriel says to him, behold, you're going to be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because he did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And uh, this begins a bit of a desert, a bit of a wilderness for Zechariah. He's not able to speak anymore and he won't speak again for about nine months well, exactly nine months, maybe a little bit longer, actually, because, uh, you know, things got to happen. But uh, for about nine months, he's unable to speak. And there's speculation that he may not even be able to hear, because when you see later on in chapter one, uh, they have to make motions and, and signs to communicate with him. He may not have been able to hear. And so when he finishes at the temple, his duties there, they go home to their house. They're finished their two weeks, at, officially serving at the temple. And Elizabeth becomes pregnant. And Zechariah is a little isolated now. He's isolated. He can't speak, potentially can't hear. He's communicating through tablets and writing and making motions. And uh, there's a bit of an isolation happening for him. For Elizabeth, though, she segregates, she, she secludes herself for five months. And, and that's not even normal. You don't have to do that, but she does. And, and there's this thing that she's doing while she's, while she's segregated or, or secluded for five months. 
Yeah. Sorry, it's got to find it again. Yeah. She says this. She kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. The scholars believe that she was actually in worship, that she was actually filled with joy. And that's actually a theme in Luke. A lot of times you see that there's themes of joy, and the word joy is used quite often. And, and there's, a, there's an understanding that she was not just hiding herself away, but that she was like really treasuring in her heart what was going on. She was rejoicing in it. While she's rejoicing in it, Mary, if you know the story, Mary becomes pregnant, comes to visit Elizabeth, stays with her for three months. And you see Elizabeth, the Holy Spirit comes on Elizabeth and she prophesies and speaks with Mary. And uh, it's, it's, it's not normal in this time for the Holy Spirit to do anything. Like I said, there was 400 years of silence. And now you've got Zechariah who just gave a really doozy of an answer to, to Gabriel. And he's sitting in silence, maybe even isolated in his hearing. And he's, he's simply spectating what is happening now. And he's saying, let me, let me get this straight. The Holy Spirit hasn't been here for 400 years. Malachi is the last time he talked to a prophet. My wife is prophesying. I am stuck sitting here in silence thinking about my last response to Gabriel, which may not have been admirable. And I'm really hoping when Gabriel got to heaven, he did not talk with anybody about what my response was. Daniel, I hope he doesn't talk to Daniel. Daniel, like, don't tell Daniel my response because Daniel had an awesome response. Mine was not, not the best, not the best. And you see... They knew how to walk. They knew how to walk. But fatigue can make cowards of us all. And he, he spoke out of maybe a little bit of wornness, maybe out of a little bit of tiredness. And okay, going back to Indiana Jones, it's not the age, it's the mileage. And, and he, had a, he had a faith that knew how to walk, but maybe had a bit of mileage on it. Maybe it had a bit of had a few dents and dings in it. And he spoke out of that. He's like, well, how can you do this? And it, it's totally compared with how Mary responded. They both said how. And Pastor Juan, you've mentioned this a few times. There's a couple of different ways to, to say how to God. And he's like, I'm gonna, God's like, I'm going to do this in your life. And you're like, that's a tall order. How are you going to do that? And it's a bit of a response of unbelief. And then there's Mary's like, what? It's like, it's like a how, it's like a wow how. It's like, how, how, what, huh? And not unbelief, but like a wow how. And this was not a wow how. This was a doubt how. Yes. We can respond, you know, yes or silence is a completely valid response to God when he says something just like, you alone know, Lord. That's been used a few times in the Bible. Oh, you alone know how this is going to work. And that's a great response too. This is a bad response. This is how we don't want to respond when God tells us to do something. And so what is our response? What is our response? You know what? God took that response from Zechariah and he did something with it. There was a, wild, I'm going to call it a wilderness season here for nine months when Zechariah was sitting at home. He's not in the temple anymore. His, his big once-in-a-lifetime moment is over, ministering before the Lord. He probably will never be able to do that again. And, 
and he's sitting there in, in his own seclusion of silence, of deafness, muteness. And he's just left to reflect. And what did he reflect on? What did he reflect on? Well, first of all, the description of his child, the future child, is going to say a little something. He will go before him. He describes his child. Here's how Gabriel describes the child in verse 17. He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. This is Malachi, flat out. Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. The very last word, Malachi 4, verse 5. It's at the very end of the Old Testament. He says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with the decree of utter destruction. There's, he knows exactly what Gideon was talking about, the prophecy that he was talking about. And now he's got nine months to think about it, to think about what Gideon said to him. And it all has to do with turning the hearts of the children to the fathers. Anytime I have prayed for my kids, whenever I pray for my children, when I pray it consistently, you know, day after day, um, God always does that in me first. The things I pray for my children's hearts happen to my heart first. And here we have, uh, John was the forerunner for Christ, but Zechariah was the first one to really do this, to turn his heart to his father's heart when he's in seclusion. He's going through the prophecy that Gabriel spoke to him, and he's like, I'm going to be first. I'm going to turn my heart to the father. I know how to walk. I'm worn. I've been carrying burdens. But you know what? I'm going to turn my heart to the Father. And this is what happens in wilderness, desert times. We're confronted with the places that we haven't turned our hearts to God. This is what can happen in our own time right now. If you feel burdened, if you feel dry, if you feel overly exhausted and worn, if your faith has a lot of mileage on it, um, your faith is still fine. Your faith is good. But now we're going to turn our hearts to the Lord. And we're, going to, and we're going to meet him in the desert. We're going to meet him in a dry place. We're going to meet him in a place where we wish he would do one thing and he's not doing that, but he's doing something else. And am I ready for that? I mean, look, here's, here's a person who thought they wouldn't have a child. And, but they're praying for the deliverance of Israel. And God is, is like, okay, we're going to do it through you. And you're like, well, that's great. I'm a priest. I know how to, I know how to, it could be to preach, to teach. It could be to minister. I'm going to be so geared up for when this happens. And God's like, you're going to have a baby. It's like, learn diapers. He's <laughs> like, that is not what I was expecting. I'm like, well, that's what you're getting. Are you prepared for what God is going to do? And are you prepared for the skill sets that he's going to give you? And, and, and what we find in the desert is we lose we lose the relationship of God on our own terms. We, we meet, I, I met Christ on my own terms. I met him when I was needy, when I was uh, frustrated with church. I met him when I was offended and hurt, when I was tired. And I met him there. And I, God spoke my language. He spoke the language of my needs. 
But now I find when I, if I go into a desert place, God is saying, I want you to meet me on my terms. I want you to be my man. I want you to be my woman. And I want you to understand how I talk. Understand that I have not needs, but I have desires that I want to accomplish. And I would like to include you in them. Would you? Would you? And, and there's things that happen in the desert, happen in wearing times, that cannot happen anywhere else. And the desert can, can destroy, the desert can refresh. And it is up to us how that works. And when we're talking about baptisms, there's a question, Pastor Lauren, that you've always framed whenever we're talking about baptism with people, and it's like, what do you want to leave in the tank? When you're baptized, when you go down under the water, what is it that you want to leave there? What is it that you want to leave there? And the desert is a, is a refining place. It's a place that burns off garbage. It takes it off. It burns the mileage off, makes us new. And my question is, if you find yourself in an empty place, in a hungry place, in a frustrating place, could it quite possibly be that you are in a desert or a wilderness? And then my next question is, what would you like to leave there? What would you like to leave in the desert when you leave it? And, and this is the other question, is uh, you know you don't live there, right? It's a journey, it's a journey, but, and, and the temptation is, and maybe this is the temptation of people that, you know, consistently know how to walk, and even Steven, steady Eddie's, you know, like, I'm not going to live by what I feel, it's like, ah, I'm just going to dig in and knuckle down, and we're going to, okay, well, that, that's good, you know how to walk, awesome. Do you know how to not build a house in the middle of the desert, but to walk through it? And, and this is actually the thing that tripped him up. He's, he knows how to walk, and God has just confronted him with something that is going to change everything. And he's like, well, that doesn't fit my desert mentality. That doesn't fit my wilderness mentality. And God's like, well, we'll need to fix that. You know what? Mary treasured in her heart all that was spoken to her by the, by the angel. He was forced to treasure in his heart by just being in isolation and silence. He's like, I know you, you may not, I'm just going to help you treasure this by just being mute and uh, possibly deaf. And let's just have you treasure what's about to happen here. And as he's treasuring this, he sees Mary come in. He sees his wife prophesy to her. And he's beginning to grasp, and he's reading the Old Testament prophecies like Malachi. He knows that God is at work. He knows that God is at work. And he also knows that there's, there's a pivotal verse. And, sorry, I didn't give this to the, to, the, to the people with the Sky Bible yet. But, uh, but Isaiah 40 is also very pivotal and it starts off this chapter in Isaiah 40. It starts off one way. Put these there. It says, 40, verse 3, A voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill will be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. All flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And he's like, I know this in regards to my son. I know God is active. I know he, I haven't experienced him as active, but he says he is. And I, I need to just say, give him the answer I didn't give him the first time. I'm going to say, yes, you are active. 
you are active. And in the desert, the lies and the wounds of our heart are exposed. And you may feel haunted. You may feel actually extra heavy because your heart is telling you things that are not true. They're not scriptural. They're not biblical about who God is. This is where they haunt you. When everything else is silent and only your heart is speaking, uh, it either drives you mad or you confront them. And you confront them and you go, no, you know what? I don't live by my heart. I treat my heart like a, like a, like a wild horse. You know, I just, you know, it's, uh, I, don't, I don't let the horse lead me. I lead the horse. I tell the horse. I train the horse. I, you know, I'm not going to say I watch Yellowstone, but I've seen horses be broken. And, and, and you watch and you see how the heart is not necessarily broken, but it is, it is trained to receive the truth. We train our hearts to receive the truth. You can, you can stop being haunted by the lies that carry you. You can stop being haunted by lies that have told you who God is not, who have told you who you are, but you truly are not. You can be freed of that, right? You need the word of God, and you need to say yes to anything that even closely resembles God intervening in your life, whatever that looks like. It could be a song you've heard. It could be a scripture that's jumped out at you. It could be a conversation or a message from the, from the church. It could be anything, but respect and bless what God has spoken to you in whatever form it is. And this is part of the desert survival lifestyle. I know how to find food in the desert. I know how to find nutrition and sustenance in the desert. When time is good, do I read my Bible? Eh, eh. When time is tricky like this, know how to feed, know how to find food, know how to sustain. Look and be thankful for what God is doing. The more thankful you are, the more often you will trip over and notice and have discernment about what God is doing. Know how to survive in the desert if you're in one. Don't lament it. Be that guy. Be that girl that knows how to like that. I'm not trying to think of a good picture from a, from a movie, but there's a just, you know, John the Baptist is just the guy, right? Like, like it's, when he grew up, he was this desert no, man, he was that person that came upon, if you're in a movie and he would come upon, you know, like the people like dying of thirst, he'd be that, that crusty old desert trader that would like pick them up and take them to his oasis and know how to feed them. You, he knew how to live. He knew how to live in the desert. You have that skill. That's a skill to gain and a skill to grow in. And then it's important to know you don't live there. It is a skill received so that, and, and then you take it wherever you go. So you are never thirsty ever again, no matter where you are. You got survival skills. He knew, in the beginning of Isaiah 40, he knew what God was like. And then at the end of Isaiah 40, here's what it says. Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God? the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall grow faint and weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run out, be weary. They shall walk and not faint. He says, prepare a way, prepare a way. And if you're weary along the way, know this, know this, feed on me. Turn your heart to me. Find me. I am challenged as a man who loves dopamine. I love the things that raise up the dopamine levels in my life. I like watching Netflix. I like playing video games. I know I'm 50. I like playing video games. I like, I like things that spike 
If you don't know what dopamine is, there's lots of great things you can study on. But the idea of the dopamine is it is that pleasure hormone. It spikes when you think of pleasurable things. And I felt God saying this to me the other day. He's like, uh, are you looking for the fountain of dopamine or are you looking for the fountain of life, Tim? And I was like, I'm not even sure if I know the difference anymore sometimes. <laughs> what is the fountain of life? Well, it's, it's me. It's me, Tim. This is, I'm saying like dialogue with Jesus, just if I didn't make that context. Jesus is saying, I am the fountain of life. You've been, you've been feeding or you've been watering yourself at the fountain of the dopamine, the pleasures, the, the things that give you that, that hit and enjoyment without meaning, without meaning, because you're coping. And I get it. I get we're coping. I get a lot of people are coping right now. Well, we can cope or we can, we can feed on Christ. I will be quite honest. I, I like, I have coping mechanisms in my life. And one by one, God is dealing with them and saying, what was coping? Tim, there's actually a life answer for that. There's a me answer for that, Tim, that I want to give you. Would you? Would you? And, and over nine months, nine plus months, this is, the, this is the desert burning off these things in Zachariah's life. And how do I know it worked? And how do I know that's what happened? Because I know the fruit of it. I know what he said. I know his next words. I know Zachariah's next words nine months later at the end of Luke 1. They asked him, they asked his wife, because they couldn't talk to him. They said to his wife, what's, what's his name supposed to be? She's like, it's supposed to be John. And they're like, what? You're not, okay, you're not supposed to be naming, it's supposed to be the father. What? Let's get out of, out of Zachariah what the name is supposed to be. And he asked for a writing tablet and he wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered, and immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosed and spoke, blessing God. He came out of a dry place, out of a place where he's reconfiguring his whole life for a new calling and a new destiny. After knowing how to walk, he's learning how to, he's learning how to step into what God has for him now. And he blessed God. And it says in Isaiah, in, in verse 67, and his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit. I saw my wife, I saw this happen to my wife once. She was filled with the Holy Spirit. She prophesied. Now he's like, Holy Spirit's in me now. I'm prophesying. And he says, blessed be the Lord God of Israel for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. I'll skip down. He says, because of the tender mercies of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. And he sees, he sees the tender mercies of God in a dry, at the end of a dry place. And he knew the tender mercies of God in the middle of that dry place. And now he can say it out loud. And he rejoices and he praises. And this is what comes at the end of dry places, is rejoicing. It is a revelation of who God is cosmically, but also who he is to you, particularly. And this is what I want to pray for people right now. If you are going through a dry place, a burdensome place, a wearing and a grinding place, uh, let's just uh, have everyone just stand up here and let's just pray for them right now. Whoever is going through that, just put out your hands in front of you. Father God. Thanks for listening. 
To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and check out our C3 Calgary live stream on YouTube. If this message resonated with you and you'd like to give to our church, you can do so on our website at myc3church.ca. See you next week.